You are on Line of Sight, a War Machine and Hordes podcast for new and experienced players, sponsored by Broken Egg Games. Line of Sight. We're here with episode 11. Uh, I am your host for this week, Jaden, as Chandler is not feeling well, and I am here with Brett. How's it going, man? It's going well. Oh, I should have usurped it and said you have Line of Sight. Oh, I should have. I also realized that I just said exactly the same thing he says every week without even <laughs> thinking about it. Curse you, Chandler. Here in spirit. Here in spirit. He's probably, like, figured a way to hack Skype and is listening and laughing to us right now. Well... Considering uh, my success with recording Leyline without him, I hope he is. Um, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, that, that could be really bad. Um, so, uh, did anything happen this week? I don't think so. Not much. It's been a relatively slow week. There's only been CID and a new theme force and the most spoilerific theme force I've ever seen. That's true. Oh, man, that thing. Uh, so, uh, it is the last week of CID, right? Uh, I have no idea. I thought it was the second one. I'm pretty sure it's the last one. Like, this is the last update they're doing, I believe, is what Pagani said. Um, Some interesting changes. Uh, Specifically that they keep improving all of the Merc stuff Mm -hmm. over and over. Specifically the caster that got me into the game, Ashlyn. Yep, and uh, also has now got me hooked on playing with lots and lots of dice. Um, (laughs) At at one point, so my opponent was playing Xerxes 2. And so at one point he was rolling like six or seven dice to attack under Xerxes' feet, Ashland's feet, and boosting. So I played in a spell draft tournament. So I I played a Fog of War versus Starcross game, oh, and my opponent my opponent clocked because it took him so long to figure out what he actually rolled every <laughs> time. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, they keep buffing the mercs. Uh, Gaston is in a developer talk as we speak. Um, and the champion of the Order, Order of the Wall went from being a moderately okay piece to something that I think is probably going to see play. I like that he um, they upgraded his personal potential and gave him a slightly less good um, like leadership ability. Yeah. I think that was a good trade. Yep. And, I mean, that leadership ability is not nothing either, especially, like... Because, like, they upgraded his command range, so it's now 9 instead of 8. And um, also, like, there's a lot of squishy infantry in Minoth. Like, stick Nisia right next to a paladin now, and she'll make it up the table. Yep. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty cool. Or an um, allegiance, what do you really mean? <laughs> I mean, it's it's better to just let the allegiance sit there, isn't it? Because <laughs> then you can't e-leap into him. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Allegiance, punch monks, love them, hate them, lose Always games thinking. because of them. Yeah. Um, and then stupid Arcadius got will work for food nerfed. Yeah, it turns out when he can get assaulting roadhogs into your opponent's deployment, the developers don't like that very much. I'm, I'm like halfway serious. I'm like, can we just, can we just get rid of roadhogs? Please. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm kind of with you there. Or can I would I would also maybe just like to see a rule that says, um, if your opponent has not had a turn yet, you may not attack models in their regular deployment. Yeah, I feel I feel like like losing a minions theme force is 
probably not as important to them as changing the entire core rules of the game. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> oh, well. Um, and yeah, we saw the uh, the Manowar theme force today, which, uh, whew. I think it's funny that it had the most spoilers I've ever seen, and yet I still have no idea what the theme force does. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Although, I'm probably going to get to play against it right after we record this, so I guess we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Bombardiers with those changes, though. Holy crap. That's a unit. I would appreciate them being a unit. Yeah, it, it gives me hope for all the Circles units. <laughs> well, let's not get too optimistic. Uh, these, are, these are units that people love and have bought. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I think that's pretty much it for Privateer news. Uh, the Broken Egg Games front, uh, they are coming out with the Old Witch 2 Kator tokens, uh, either this week or next week, I think, which is going to be pretty sweet because Old Witch 2 also comes out in the next couple of weeks. But unfortunately, not in time for me to play her at Attack X. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, for those of you that are wondering why there was no Old Witch 3 in any Grim comparing at WTC, she's not going to be out yet. So Neither is Wanderer, right? Uh, no, Wanderer is actually. He comes oh, out on wow. the 13th. So the entire faction is out on the 13th, except for Old Witch and Madcaps. My favorite model. Yeah, well, so here's the other thing I was noticing when I was building Bump of the Night lists. You end up with eight points left to go a lot. And there is nothing in the entire faction that's a unit that costs some variation of eight points except for two units of madcaps. Everything else is either seven or nine. And it was just this this insanity of like, well, if I could play madcaps, I'd get another free solo. But since I can't, I guess I don't. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, we are also excited to be prepping for War Machine Weekend. That's coming up really fast here. Um, yeah, we're like, what, two months out now? Six weeks. Six weeks. Jeez. Yeah. I'm very <laughs> excited. And, uh, yeah. you're already you qualified, right? I qualified last week. <laughs> nice. Turns out when you go to four qualifiers, you get, it increases your odds. Seriously. In a month. <laughs> I, all of mine are riding on one qualifier, so we'll see. Two. You got the last chance. Oh, that's true. But let's be real. Um, dice are 100% the reason that that one gets one, probably, over the course of that many games. Uh, incorrect. That would be uh, stamina. Ah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and I have no faith in my dice luck and no faith in my stamina, so we're, we're not going after that one. <laughs> Time to have some raw eggs and do a rocky... Uh... Montage. montage yep yeah no thanks uh we are going to be giving out sweet line of sight dice um i'm gonna like stow them away on brett and chandler as as we do stuff and i think we're gonna come up with some cool stuff like if you play all three of us you get one of the white dice at the end of it and if you otherwise you just get a red one <laughs> i think the red ones are cooler well yeah but i ordered more of them oh uh, okay so, I don't know. If I can get another order in before War Machine Weekend, we might have enough to just, like, hand them out indiscriminately. But, okay. yeah, it takes about a month and a half, so it'll be dicey. Haha. <laughs> uh, to see if they're in on time. But, yeah, those are going to be sweet. Uh, I'm excited to go. I know Chandler's excited to go. Um, I'm actually about to buy my plane ticket today, which is yep. awesome. I'm, I'm excited to throw all the revelators in a fire. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
So, so yeah, we are we are officially going to be painting a Revelator for Chandler on Thursday night, um, so that he can play painted on Friday because apparently we're really nice like that. I I mean, it's not nice for me to for me to paint a model for him. Uh, dude, I, I I am bringing those giant uh, craft paint uh, sponge sticks. <laughs> <laughs> and just gonna like dip them in paint and then like apply them all over the revelator with reckless abandon. Good. Yep. Oh, it'll match my gremlin swarm. Ooh, excellent. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Brett, what's our rule of the week? Our rule of the week is boosting math. Boosting also, math. Which is unfortunate because this would have been really timely when Morvana Two was popular. Because most games people lost were were because they're like freaking out about her always rolling sixes. I'm like. Eh, I roll like a hundred dice. I'm gonna roll triple sixes once. Yep. <laughs> yep. Before we get into the math part, uh, it's important to note that you can only boost using Focus and Fury on your activation, uh, unless you've got some really weird, wanky rule that lets you do it outside of your activation. I think I can think of two feats, and I think that's it. Yeah. There's only a few. So if you've got an extra focus on a Warjack, and you make a free strike with it, or you get to counter charge. You cannot boost either the attack or the damage roll if it's not on your activation. Yep. Um, there are also some rare opportunities when you can't boost. Um, the most common among those are cavalry attacks. Um, yep. They cannot be boosted in any way. Yep. Um, and you're talking I, about the mount attack, right? I am talking about specifically the mount attack. Okay. Speaking of Morvana 2 again. Yep. Gosh, you wanted to boost that so bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um other times you can't boost um well you can't boost charge attacks because they're already boosted yep and uh if your spirit is out on a war beast or if your cortex is out on a warjack you also cannot boost because you cannot spend focus or force for fury at that point yep even if you do have focus on you like if you snipe out the cortex on death jack and he gets too focused he's like what am i supposed to do with this yeah I don't even know if you can gain it. I can't remember, but I think the new Cortex rules say that if you don't have a Cortex, you can't even hold oh, really? focus. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but I believe that's <laughs> what I read last time. I thought we said that we were going to do a rule of the week that we actually knew. You weren't supposed to throw things like <laughs> if your Cortex is crippled at me. <laughs> um, important to note that uh, if you're not in a battle group, you still can boost if you get focus, uh, especially for Jack Marshall Borbies. This is very important. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there's... Definitely lots of ways in, like, Retribution, a few ways in Menoth, one way in Signar, or two ways, actually, because you can get, do the Accumulator on uh, the Stormclad and Gallant. Um, and uh, Kador now actually has the best uh, <laughs> best solos that hand out focus in the game, pretty much, so they get to do it, too. I don't know if they're the best at handing out focus, but they sure have the best Jack Marshall, Jack. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so, boosting math. Take it away, Brett. Okay. Um, so, the important important rule of thumb here is to remember that you have a chance to miss. <laughs> um, so, if you're looking at multiple attacks, um, and... Uh, so, the obvious math is if your attacks do um, four or more damage, which means you're at dice minus three-ish or mm -hmm. more better, um, then you shouldn't boost, you should buy more attacks. However, your odds of missing greatly influence that. Yep. Um, because if if you miss one, that's going to... I mean, oh, so if you have a 50% chance of hitting, which is about a 7 to hit, um, 
then your expected value, if you're only doing four damage, is two. So it's actually better to boost damage mm-hmm. if you're just trying to maximize damage. Um, the the last thing that can screw up that easy math is if you are going for something really, really important. Um, and this, this actually cuts both ways. So yeah. I find myself boosting like fives or sixes to hit um, if those attacks are critically important to the, to the outcome of the game. Like if they're the last couple boxes on a war beast or if they're like the models I absolutely have to get out of the way in order to win, things like that. Because like roll it, like it's, it's possible to um, like miss three sixes in a row, but boosting two of those means that you're going to have much, much higher odds. Yep. Um, Real quick, I would like to interject the, the math that we're basing all of this off on for people that maybe haven't done this out yet. Um, when you roll two dice, the theoretical average is about seven. And when you roll three dice, the theoretical average is ten and a half. And that can either go down to ten or up to eleven. And the reason it's better to not boost if you're going to do, um, if you're at dice off three, is because the next attack that you do will theoretically, on average, do four damage instead of the extra three and a half you get from boosting. Whereas if you're at dice minus four, your only expected damage is three. Whereas if you boost, you get a three and a half bump instead of just a three bump. And and again, that's that's neglecting to hit, which yep. you need. This is 100% just for damage. The the to hit uh, part is a completely different story all by itself. Yeah, and and because we're doing expected value, just remember to multiply the damage you expect times the uh, the chance of hitting, and that is your actual expected value. That should help you decide whether to get the free three and a half, or if you think you can get more. Yep. Or alternatively, you can just download Odds Machine if you have an Android phone, and have it do it for you. Um, I also there. I found a hit chance app a long time ago. Oh yeah. Um, and it just tells you the probability on two dice and three dice. And I actually use that all the time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, okay. And then so the last way that um, needing to be sure of something or the attack being critically important can affect your dice is if you're on like an assassination run and these are your last three attacks. Um, sometimes you have to decide that the only scenario in which you win this game is by playing risky. Um, so for example, if you're like sending a mat seven warjack into a defense 15 caster, um, simple logic says boost to hit because, mm-hmm. um, if, because you're, you're not, you're going to miss most of your attacks. However, if it's a warlock and they have, um, you know, two, two transfers, but only one HP, you have to hit three times. So if you only have, you know, one more attack and two more focus, you can't afford to boost to hit if you want to win that game. Yep. So. Sometimes you just have to go for it. <laughs> yeah. Like the universe I have to live in. Yep. And uh, that that is something that comes up a lot more often than you'd expect, where you get something into a warlock that has one more attack than they have fury, and you just kind of have to pray that yep. you hit all of those attacks. And, I mean, the math isn't necessarily in your favor, but it is the only way to win, so you have to do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a safe play that loses you the game is always going to lose you the game. Taking a 10%er that can win you the game, you might win that game. Yep, one out of ten times. I wouldn't rely on that, but it's better than losing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. A guaranteed loss versus a potential win, I will take the potential win every time. Yep. Sweet. So yeah, that's our rule of the week, which uh, leads us right into our main topic. Very ironic, considering yeah. one man down. Um, we're calling this the one man down, a team tournament episode, because today we're going to talk about team tournaments. And Jaden uh, has lots of experience with team tournaments at one man down. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, 
I wonder when people are going to start asking questions about that, like what actually happened. <laughs> well, you won the conversion contest. That's true. Yeah. I got featured on the ATC Twitter feed for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. And if Chandler was here, he would say uh, what he told me at the time, which was he got onto the ATC Facebook page, looked at those models and went, what did Jeremy do? <laughs> <laughs> And there's your call out. Yep. <laughs> um, so team tournaments. Uh, so the thing about team tournaments, that, which if you watch any esports or in fact any sports at all, you know that uh, teams make events a lot more interesting, a lot more fun, just because you have the human element on top of the all the fun game parts. Um, and it, 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 I find that it's really good for like bringing communities together and getting people to talk about lists and theory and just you know having a good time. Um, like even when it's non-competitive, even when it's like you know two casters on the table, silliness. It's it gets people together, it gets them having fun, um, and it gets them you know thinking about War Machine. And I find that just adding teams to many many kind of events, even intensely personal ones like War Machine, um, make them a lot more interesting. Yeah, and I mean, there's, it's always great to okay. Well, I'll preface this by saying if you have a good team, and by good I don't necessarily mean one that's really competitively uh, potent, but one that you know, is a group of people that gets along well and supports each other. Um, it's it's this incredible, a uh, bit like feeling to come out of a really hard loss and have your teammates there to buck you back up, or alternatively to squeak out a crazy win and then have somebody like people around to celebrate with, which is something that we don't often get to do in War Machine. Yeah, and it's especially great because um, their like their wins are based on your performance, so they feel your pain when you lose, and they feel your joy when you win. Yep, which sounds a little bit cheesy, but I mean, it's actually 100% true when you get into those situations. Um, having a, like, I will, I will take a friendly and well-adjusted uh, personality-wise team over a cutthroat competitive team almost any day, just because I don't want to have that uh, that feeling that you get when there are people that are negative, even though your losses are their losses, kind of thing. Cough, League of Legends, <laughs> <laughs> or Dota, or any MOVA. Let's be real. <laughs> um, so, so the hardest part of a team tournament is running it. So, if you're a player, count yourself lucky because there is a Herculean amount of effort going into making these things go, because. Like, small team tournaments are, like, 40 people, so you need, like, 20 tables worth of terrain and scenario and judges and all that crazy stuff. Yep. And since we so, can't pre-measure as many things as we used to, those judge requirements are even bigger than they used to be. Grumble, grumble. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, buy, buy your team tournament organizer a drink, please. Yep. <laughs> um, so, there are several formats. Um, I, so, the... And there are advantages and disadvantages to each. Yep. Um, so, so you want to go from big to small or small to big? Small to big. Okay, so two-man team tournaments. Two-man team tournaments. Um, yep, which are usually just like, you know, two-headed giant kind of things. So that's two casters on the same table. Yep. Um, again, if you're running this, please, please, please don't allow them to feed on the same turn. Yeah, seriously. Uh, that way madness lies even more than usual. Yeah. <laughs> But if you do want true madness, uh, say that um, allies count as friendly faction, and you can feed on the same turn. <laughs> <laughs> I do not recommend doing this unless your meta is basically all the same in skill level and willingness to uh, play at the same level, because, yeah, there will be one or two people in every meta that will take this and break it. And 
I don't know if you noticed this, but War Machine's balance kind of lies on a Razor's Edge. Uh, it's not super balanced at 100 points. It's not super balanced at 50 points. Uh, it's very seriously not balanced at 130 points with two casters and two uh, players. Yep. Um, but if you're looking for like a spell draft, who the boss kind of fun time, where you're gonna you're gonna find insane combos and somebody's gonna just rock you with something you never considered. Uh, team and team endurance are fun for that. They super are. Yeah, I I really enjoy two man team tournaments. They're they're a lot of fun. So then we get three man tournaments, and there's two main ways to play this. Um, and I think we should just get our grumble grumbles out ahead of time real fast. <laughs> so the the American uh, team style tournament. Yeah. Uh, so the advantage, the advantage of this one. Okay, so this is basically um, you rank your players, um, which is a really stupid way to say it. Um, basically, you assign assign them a number, and people of the same number play people of the other same number. So it's essentially random pairings. Yep. Um, with uh, a, ver- a common variant I've seen is that um, uh, you- you're allowed once per tournament to swap two of your players, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which adds a little bit of interest. But um, if the tournament is four rounds, that's not big. <laughs> and also you could swap right back. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, um, so there, the advantage to this one is purely on the TO side, I think. Um, well, yeah, because they're already doing a huge amount of effort by posting all these players, so yep. they're going to take a complete load off and not have to explain any rules at all. Yep, so the TO doesn't have to do anything. You just show up, and it's like, all right, here's table one, table two, table three. Players one play here, players two play there, players three play there. Um, there is some interesting strategy, and by interesting, I mean like, basically microing like microing down to the millimeter of what you can do with where you put your players in the ranking of of where they are especially because it's called a ranking or it has like military ranks yeah because it's usually like captain lieutenant sergeant or something yeah so Um, so you you call it interesting i call it metagamey bullshit but okay sure (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm trying to be nice (laughs) honestly if if you're not a fan of metagamey bullshit uh maybe team tournaments aren't for you (laughs) all right yeah disclaimer if if you don't want to get into the weeds even deeper than you usually do in a game of war machine uh team tournaments are not for you um (laughs) just disclaimer um or at least team tournaments where you have to have any input at all on what the pairings are is not for you all right, done with that. Um, so the the general trend I, I've seen is that a lot of people put their strongest player on the first spot and then their second best player on the second spot and their third best player on the third spot. Um, and if both teams are like set up like that, then it just basically comes down to individual player skill and it might as well be random pairings. Which is actually the best case scenario. Yeah, that is the best case scenario. However, if you go into the event set up like that, and what they have done is, in, your opponent's team has done, is instead put their worst player in the first spot, their best player in the second spot, and their second best player in the third spot, you are probably going to get steamrolled. Because there's usually, you know, a fair skill gap between those positions, and having their best player into your second best player, and their second best player into your third best player, means you're probably going to lose that round. Um, are there any other common variations of that? I don't think so. Yeah. So so it basically it boils down to you either get sort of an even fair fight or you get pounded. Um, 
Because if both teams are set up in the second way with the worst player in the first position, then it's an even fair fight. But building like that is just going to prey on every other team who decided to do the honorable thing and not do metagamey crap like that. And just so you know, you can tell a format is broken uh, when you start bringing like moral obligations and honor into it. <laughs> yep, basically. <laughs> so suffice to say, we here at Line of Sight do not support this format and don't like it at all, and prefer instead... Um, what we believe is a German version of the three-man team event, uh, which is definitely European. Definitely European. It's it's so. Go ahead. So this is based on the WTC format um, that we'll be talking about next, um, which is a, an extremely complex way to try and sort out matchups and give you a, a way to choose matchups um, on top of the two-list format. Uh, this is a much simplified and, in my opinion, very streamlined, very powerful format, um, which has the advantage of unlike WTC. Uh, uh, the standard WTC format of not requiring diagrams and charts and several minutes to explain. Um, so basically what you do <laughs> is... <laughs> so basically what happens is um, you have three players in each team and three tables. Um, each, uh, each, each team will blindly put out one player on table one and table three um, so, that there's, so that they don't have an opponent. Then yep. they'll switch lists and um, team A will put one player from team B against their player uh, on one of the tables and the other team will do the same. And then the, there'll be the remainder will go in the middle. Um, so the, the idea here is you put out one person blindly who your opponent responds to, uh, um, who sorry, you put out one person blindly that you get to choose their opponent from the remaining two. Um, and then your opponent does the same with the other table. And then the third one is whatever's left. So, yep. yeah, so the goal of the exercise is you end up with one good matchup because you chose uh, which of the opponent's players to put against it. One bad matchup because your opponent did the same thing. And then one essentially random matchup. Yep. And uh, the, the alternative variation of this, which is the same thing but just slightly different, is you put out your player and then they choose based off of the player that they see. And then the, what, the leftovers are in the middle. But it ends up with the same thing. Oh, wait. That's not what I described? Maybe it's more complicated than I think. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. There's two ways to do it. Um, okay. you, you described the one where the opponent physically gets to choose the matchup for the the their person. Uh, mm -hmm. The way that I'm describing it, they get to choose the matchup for the other team. It, it oh. ends up with one good matchup, Obviously, one blind matchup, and one bad matchup, no matter what. But that is... Your way is easier to explain. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's functionally identical. <laughs> yep, exactly. It, it's the way that uh, they do it at Mox. So, cool. Yeah. Um, but you can do some really interesting things with this. Um, because you're putting out one player blind, uh, it can be the list that they're not expecting, and they put their counter down blind as well. A good example of this is the team that I took to the last team event I did. We had Kador running Jack Spam and Jack Spam. And then we had me playing Balder 2 and Wormwood, and my Balder 2 list was double Wrath. And then we had a Menoth player who had a Resonic 2 list specifically for Ghost Fleet. And um, then he had the Vindictus list that Chandler and I have been throwing around for a couple months now. And round one, we got dropped into a team with a WTC player from Canada, and then another member of the Stormcast on it, and then one of the better Convergence players in probably the United States. Um, and we were like, oh shoot. But we put the double Kador list down first, uh, because that's that was our plan, and they expected us to put me down first. And so I ended up getting to play against Haley two with Balder two, and he had to put they they put Kane one and something else into the Kador pair. 
So it worked out really well for us. Nemo 3, if I recognize the player correctly. <laughs> uh, yes, actually. Um, but yeah, so it, it, there's a lot of interesting ways that you can do this, and we're getting into the mind gamey aspect of the team tournament for now, um, which is one of the more fun things for me about it, is just like, did I guess right? It's it's like List Chicken, but even more yes. in a lot of ways. And that's probably the that's probably the big disadvantage of all these team events is that um, so you you get to play with a team, which makes the event more fun. But the disadvantage is you're adding some metagame on top of War Machine. And if all you care about is skill at War Machine, then all this other stuff is just fluff. Yep. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a second after we describe the uh, the last oh. variation. Well, let me go over the the advantage of the German style event is that um, it's a lot simpler to explain. It's a lot simpler to run. And there's no first player advantage, which is a big problem in the WTC kind of format. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So uh, the last one is the five-man uh, WTC, which for those of five you who have been listening... Crap. Five-person. <laughs> sorry. Uh, for those of you who have been listening that don't know what WTC stands for, it is the World Team Championship. Um, but it's used in a lot of different events. Like, I know for sure that the ITC Warhammer events use this method and you know basically oh, really? yeah um and in fact i think they're the ones that came up with it and then wtc stole it uh i believe etc was a natural evolution of the european warhammer event okay. that turned into wtc all right so yeah um and uh gosh it's such a complicated rule set uh shall we just go at it uh so one team gets screwed <laughs> All right. So, so the idea is um, you're going to repeatedly get into this uh, this place where one person has a player out and the other team will give them two choices. Mm -hmm. And so they'll choose one and the other person will get that same two-person choice. Yep. Uh, the problem uh, is because it's not an infinite set of players, um, the beginning and end of it are kind of strange. Yeah. Um, in, in that the first player who goes out blind into the whole wide world of the enemy team usually gets completely raffle stomped. <laughs> Yep. Or or they're playing a really uh, really weird list, or no, or they're playing yeah like a really smart uh, like team composition um, where they're like, look, I'm gonna play into anything, I'm gonna play into the worst, and then the person who's most like me is going to take advantage of that at the very end. Mm -hmm. um, and then the problem at the very end is that the team who put out, jeez, oh, uh, who put out second, the the one who, cho who chooses matchups essentially gets to choose two of the matchups because yep. they have they have the last choice. Yeah, so what it works out to be is that one of the teams gets to essentially choose three matchups. The other team gets to choose two matchups, but they also get to choose which tables everybody plays at. Um, a quick note, don't choose tables until everybody has already chosen their pairings because, and I've had this happen uh, in a couple of team events, um, like from the other team, they will sometimes screw over each other like um i was playing pre-nerf wormwood and they left their last guy on a table with a giant forest in the middle of the table <laughs> yeah don't do that um uh, actually so at least for wtc i believe the rules say that you have to choose the pairing before then you have to choose the table before the next pairing is chosen oh so really? you just have to think of, yeah so that's that's why it happens you just have to ah think interesting okay Cool. So that's 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 a good thing to know. Um, the I think okay. So I'm gonna be a little controversial here, but I think that with the way that SR 2017 tables are set up now, I think that might actually be a lot more balanced than it was in the past. 
Um, so I'm being a little facetious about claiming that one team gets screwed because uh, whenever I play a five-person team tournament like this, um, I'm usually playing something like Circle or something highly terrain-dependent. So I actually pref- and, and like I usually had like a Bradigus or a Wormwood. So I like going out first and being able to choose my second worst matchup at all times. Um, choosing a matchup that helps my team, and then I get to choose a table that's really advantageous to me, um, which for a terrain-dependent faction like Circle is really important. Yeah. Um, I actually, and and the other advantage is if you practice for that sort of format, because choosing matchup is such a perceived advantage, um, if you win the die roll and you choose to go uh, with tables, um, you get that situation. If you lose the die roll, they're always going to give you tables, so you get mm-hmm. to you get to play the format you expect the entire day. Yeah, that's true. That that is a very valid point, and that I think that a lot of the more successful teams, um, at least that I've encountered on a regional level, l- prefer that anyway. Um, the consistency of knowing how the how the pairings are going to go is is sometimes more valuable than getting that necessarily elite pairing. Yes. Um, so one of the I guess I'm kind of transitioning to our next topic, um, is that one of the interesting things about this format is uh, how much you believe your list should be altered by the format. Mm -hmm. Um, So the standard American philosophy is to just play whatever your normal steamroller pair is um, and do whatever you can in the metagame uh, portion and then just play it out as if you got randomly paired against that person. Because that's what you have the most experience with. Yep. Um, People who have a lot more experience with the format or aren't arrogant Americans um, <laughs> will spend a lot more time on team composition and thinking about like um, what what factions are good against like power factions, which ones are surprising, which ones are expected, mm-hmm. um, things like that. I am sort of in between the two at the moment in that I was very much a just play whatever you played a standard steamroller, and then everyone was prepared for Wormwood, and I was not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So, um, an interesting, well, so I'm going to be doing a team event in roughly a month and a half, and then we're going to be doing a team tournament in January. I'm doing a team event in five days. Okay. There you go. So, so we've got some team events coming up, so this stuff is relevant. Um, but I think there is a lot of value in bringing lists that are targeted and not, and, and pairings that are not necessarily going to cover everything. Um, because if you already know you can't beat a pairing, uh, you throw that list into the worst one that you can. Um, or if you, if you know for a fact that like, say ghost fleet is going to be a big problem, spoilers, it's the most played list at WTC, right? Uh, it's certainly the most single, like for like theme and caster overlap, it's far and away the most. (laughs) It's like... I think half of all Crooks players brought Denny One and Coven yep. in Ghost Fleet and Dark Host. Yep. I, I like I don't think there are very many teams that don't have a Ghost Fleet player. Right. Yeah. And this is this is very familiar to people who played Mark II. Yep. Yay, Crooks. Anyway. Uh so for example, um the team that I'm taking to the I five event in a month and a half, we are looking at having at least two Ghost Fleet answers. And not worrying so much if those players can cover all of the matchups, but just being like, all right, you have to be our ghostly drop. Um, where we wouldn't have their list set up like that for a normal steamroller because they would get rolled by something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I also found that um, just picking a matchup to completely give up again, give up on, 
um, is really powerful um, because, especially for me, because I always want to go out first, so I always get to say, I'm never going to play against Lilith 2. Um, <laughs> and so I don't have to contort my lists in order to deal with that matchup. I can just say, never, ever put me into that. And so you can focus more on your strengths rather than trying to cover your weaknesses. Yeah, well, and that's another thing um, to note about team tournaments is that they almost always have a caster restriction, even if they don't have a faction restriction. So if you go out first, like Brett just said, and he's playing Circle and he doesn't want to play in a Lilith 2, even if your opponent puts out Lilith 2 and whatever, and then something else, he can just take the other thing. And then his team can get two things that are advantaged into Legion out and... Um, then have a good matchup there. Yeah, and it, if you want to be really cute about it, um, make sure your team... Think about who who is good into your first-person outs counters. So, like, when I was playing um, when I was playing Wormwood, I'm like, all right, I, am, I really, really don't want to play into a Rusk 2. So, um, so I would just take whoever, Rusk, who, whoever isn't a Rusk 2... And then my, my teammates would just go, well, then we'd put out the two people who are incredible in a rest too, because um, if there is a general wisdom about some a list that's good against whatever you put out, it'll almost always see the table. And so then again, you have that advantage of being able to predict it and see it coming. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So it, it is really good to have, in some ways, a uh, a powerful faction, def- or uh, yeah, faction and meta-defining list that has some innate weaknesses. Um, that you can put out and just be like, all right, I don't care as long as I don't have to play in this other thing. And then I have advantages into that, uh, into the remaining list. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, so one of the interesting things about this format is that I've found that um, the common wisdom um, and whatever like is the popular opinion um, is very, very common and very, and usually allows you to predict what they're going to do. Um, and when it doesn't, you're just completely flabbergasted. Um, but uh, and the other thing is people tend to play extraordinarily safe. Um, I find that um, people are hard-pressed to take like their cute black horse, dark horse, or like whatever list they personally champion, and will instead take whatever is perceived to be the most powerful. Um, Interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've absolutely noticed that because it seems like with the pressure from the other people and then having to take other people's opinions... Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like people outside of your faction who aren't intimately familiar with it, um, if they don't have 100% certainty in your like skill with whatever list they haven't heard of, um, they'll try and pressure you or talk you into playing like the standard power list. That's fair. Uh, this is a good. This is a good uh, note that I think it's really important to um, when you're building your team to have a team captain who's played most of, if not all, of the factions for a little while at a competitive level, um, if you can get that. Because they will then be able to look at everybody else's lists and go, yeah, okay, that makes sense once you explain it to me. Sure, this thing is a dark horse. Um, or they might just be able to go like, no, I tried that. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it's that whole like that personality of the team thing where if you all have a good relationship and you can talk frankly and if they if you trust each other um, and, and your, your judgment about um, your faction because it's your faction – uh, then it's much, much better for you because they will not um, be so much on the uh, the pressuring you into the whatever normal list you would be playing and, and instead be more accepting of you playing your Dark Horse champion list. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know which one's best, honestly. 
I'm almost always going to encourage Dark Horse out of yeah. my players. Oh yeah, like so. Um, we last time I played in a team event, we had that that uh, Vindictus build, which was still brand new, and people just didn't know what to do into it. Or um, I've seen we we brought a really really strange. Oh no, I brought a really really strange Tanith list for the time um into Viros 2 and I almost won that game just because he didn't know what half the stuff in my list did um so the more the more your opponent has to sit there and go like I don't know what you're doing the mm-hmm. the better it is and it's kind of like uh, like openings in chess where if you've if you studied a line and your opponent hasn't you're probably gonna win just because they don't know it it's funny uh, I actually struggled over the weekend because I was playing minions and I'm like all right so we're in a list chicken situation and if he drops this, then I'm in trouble. So I'll drop the other list. And then he just drops the wrong list. And he's like, yeah, I have no idea what minions do. So I just dropped whatever. I'm like, come <laughs> on! <laughs> no, it's true. And I've, I've been finding that this is it's been really driven home to me playing Grimkin, where people just drop the wrong thing into me over and over. And I'm like, why? And they're like, I don't know what your stuff does. <laughs> like, the, the, the finals of that Mox Invitational, my opponent had a Mordekar list that I was actually fairly afraid of. And that... Uh, Zal one list, and he dropped the Zal one list because he'd played it and clocked everybody else, and I was just like, that was the wrong list. So, yeah, I, I like, I encourage Dark Horse lists, and uh, if we get Team Line of Sight together for the ATC, I expect that we will have a lot of them. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So now I know why I'm on the podcast. I have the I have the jankiest jank that ever janked. It, it is true. You are the jank master. <laughs> Frightmare plan will ta- will finally come to fruition. Yes. Um, so, uh, there's uh, one other thing that I'd like to talk about in Team Comp, and that is, when do you double up on a faction? Uh, well, I know when you don't quintuple up on a faction. Okay, that's got a story. Please explain. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, at WTC two years ago, um, when... when uh, uh, Denegra 2, whatever her broken-ass theme list was called, oh, um, yeah. was running all over the meta, and Crix was like insanely powerful. Um, one of the Swedish teams brought five Crix players, and so... Oh, uh, and and they, they got one of their best... Well, there weren't five high-end Crix players in Sweden, um, because even that's too much Crix. Um, mm-hmm. So they got one the a classic minions players uh, to pick up body and soul the denny two tier list mm-hmm. and just practice that incessantly um because it was so freaking overpowered yeah um, and then uh time wc rolls up and body and soul got completely nerfed or denny got completely nerfed and he's like i have no idea what this other list does <laughs> he lost almost all his games <laughs> poor guy nice yeah uh i will say that if you're playing more than two of the same faction in a five-man event, you're probably doing something wrong, unless it's Menoth, in which case I could see an argument for that. Um, I just Menoth, I think Kador could do it. Yeah, uh, Menoth, Kador, maybe minions. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> Grimkin can't do it. Convergence literally can't do it until yep. Orion comes out. <laughs> uh, I don't think Signar can right now. I don't think. I think Kirk's could. There's a lot Kirk's of probably people. could, yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you're taking more than two, I still think in general it's a mistake. Um, but 
there are some some factions that I think are really powerful in team tournaments, and those are specifically. Um, and if if you disagree with these, let me know. Uh, Menoth is an extremely strong team tournament uh, faction because they have like one or two bad matchups, like really bad matchups, and then and that's not even true anymore, really, with Haley. Um, and then everything else, they're just like we've got all this cool tech. Um, Grimkin, I think, are a really strong faction to double up on in a team event because number one, nobody knows what they do, and number two, Arcana make it so that they don't have any seriously horrible matchups. Um, and number three, I think Kador, just because freaking 10-point arm 20 heavies, uh, yeah, are still a thing. So I was I would I would agree with you and then switch out Kador for Circle. Um, I actually think answer factions, so factions that look across the table and go, we have the tools to deal with this specific problem, are really powerful in a team format. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, um, like, think, I think Circle's an interesting place because they're really strong against the power, like, power factions like Signar and Crix, and they just stumble and fall against the, like, uh, factions that aren't quite, like, quite, aren't quite up to that power level, like, uh, like, like Menoth, actually. Like Menoth, like Kador, like... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but okay, so, fair enough. so I think answer factions like that are really important because you expect to see a, a disproportionately high number of those, you know, super perceived super powerful factions like Signar and Crix. Mm-hmm. So having strong answers for those is really powerful. Yeah, because again, most teams are just going to play the best thing that they can play in their faction, like a normal steamroller, and then expect to play it. Whereas if you build your team to target really strong, like themes and lists, uh, you don't have to worry about your stuff being targeted because nobody's expecting it. <laughs> Yay. I actually really like talking about team tournament stuff. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> apparently. Well, well uh, I know I'm going to be focusing on it at the end of this year. And then yep. we're apparently, and then we're definitely doing a, an event together and then yep. we'll see how that goes from there. So I'll be focusing on a lot this year. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Speaking cool. of which, if, if you would like to apply for Team uh, Line of Sight, uh, <laughs> you can drop us an email, and we may or may not respond to you, uh, because Chandler and well, I are we'll terrible respond, about taking that. But... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, you got anything else you want to add to our Team Tournament episode? Uh, play in a Team Tournament. They're more fun than they look. Oh, that is an excellent point. If you have not played in a Team Tournament, like they are a flipping blast. Just go play in one. They're they're really fun. Um. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, uh, congratulations again to our Patreon raffle winners from last week. Uh, Matthew Troxel has already contacted us and gotten a shiny new Ret Heavy. Uh, but we're still uh, waiting to hear from Brian Carpenter and Sadam, I think is how you pronounce that. I, I don't know. Uh, please shoot us an email or drop us a Facebook message or send us a tweet. Uh, if not, we'll be reaching out to you in the next few days. Um, and if we can't get a hold of you for some reason, we'll, we'll redraw your thing, I think. Um, as always, you can contact, or thank you so much for the Patreon support. Uh, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash LOSWarmachine. This is really weird. Chandler should be here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it has been, uh, an amazing, amazing both motivation and, uh, gift in many ways for, uh, Chandler and I, as we've been preparing to go to War Machine Weekend and get the dice ready and do all kinds of stuff, we've got some cool stuff that we'd like to do, and you guys are making it all possible. So thank you so much. Uh, also, a huge thank you to Broken Egg Games for supporting us and being our sponsor. You can find their website at www.brokeneggames.com, 
And if you use the code LOS5CODE when you check out, you'll get 5% off your purchase, which is pretty awesome. Our website is LOSWarMachine.com. You can read all of my rambling battle reports and Chandler's occasional brilliant strategy guides there. Um, and if you'd like to talk to us on Twitter, you can find us at LOS underscore Chandler. If you want to talk to Chandler, you can find me at LOS underscore Jaden. And I have no idea if Brett has ever looked at his Twitter account, but it is at chokeobsessed underscore LL. Uh, you can email us at LOSWarmHordes at gmail.com because Chandler was too slow and somebody else got LOSWarmMachine at gmail.com first. Um, and you can find our Facebook page if you search in the search bar for Line of Sight. We are the first thing that pops up, or at least you are when I search it. Um, if not, keep scrolling until you see the LOS logo with the little flames around it. That's us. And you can message Brett Chandler or myself on Facebook, as many of you do. We are extremely active on that platform. Uh, yeah, episode 11. Got anything to close with, Brett? Nope. All right. Hope to see Chandler again soon. Yep. Chandler, get better. And we will see you next week. Oh.